to our Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of December 4, 2022, and we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, but we are recording this little session uh, without Dave today. Yes. He is with us in spirit. He is. Probably not. No, he's no, not he's taking PTO, so he's not thinking about us <sighs> Man, at all. That's what I want to do. <laughs> but we are recording this right before Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. which has me thinking not only about Thanksgiving, but also about Black Friday. So I thought it'd be fun for us to banter about... <laughs> What our family practices are for Black Friday, the consumeristic Christmas yeah. day. So, Marissa, what do you guys do? We sleep in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of um, hot tips for Black Friday, except for it's a really good day to sleep in. It's yeah. the day after. Haven't yeah. we really kind of lost <laughs> guidance over the years? Because it used to be Black Friday was a big deal, and pretty soon they started opening at midnight, and then Black Friday deals were on Thanksgiving Day, and it seems like we're correcting there yes, a little yeah. bit on that. Yeah, COVID's kind of corrected our need for Walmart at 24 hours a day yeah. and we, Thanksgiving. We just need to—I think we need to rediscover the art of anticipation mm. because it is—you know, Black Friday was a fun day. My wife, our tradition, I sleep in as well. In fact, I refuse to go to any shop <laughs> on Black Friday. But my wife loves to get up early with our daughter and now daughter-in-law and go out and hit the stores. And it was kind of the experience of it. Right. It's it was, very communal. It is very communal. Yeah. As long as nobody's running over you and right. you know, it's violent. But. Well, <laughs> but the last couple of years, they've my family's actually stopped going out because it's spread out now over all Thanksgiving week. It's like, mm-hmm. well, there's no fun in that. Yeah. So but I think... I saw a meme the other day. Oh, was boy. It, it was, no, it was good. <laughs> May I share it? You may. It was good. It was a good. I thought okay. it was good. It said, <laughs> "Thanksgiving and Black Friday. One day we're thankful for everything we have, and the next day we don't have enough stuff." That's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. That'll preach. Yeah. That'll. Oh my gosh! Flashing back <laughs> to seminary. But I think we need the art of anticipation because already, right now, there's a radio station that's playing Christmas music twenty four seven. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. What what about waiting till after Thanksgiving? Let's let's rediscover the art of anticipation. Yeah, and if you're liturgical, you know, um, you don't do anything about Christmas until Christmas Day, and then you have the twelve days of Christmas. That's right. So you guys are going to start seeing the um, very self righteous memes about well, Christmas actually doesn't start. So <laughs> yeah, but that's just from the Greek Orthodox perspective. Yeah. And all, that. <laughs> all right. So speaking of Advent, here we are. Uh, we're doing the Bible study for the second week of Advent, Ruth chapter two, and. And um, you're going to see, uh, beginning on the first Sunday of Advent, we'll have the Advent wreath, and we just light candles every day. We're going to do something a little creative and different with that this year uh, that I think will be a lot of fun. Uh, but we're walking through the book of Ruth, and as my friend Mark Twain said, that history does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Mm. And another way of saying that, in times like these, it's important to remember there have always been times like these. And so Ruth lived in challenging days. Jesus was born into a challenging world. We likewise live in challenging days. So there's going to be a lot of echoes from Ruth to Jesus to us. Uh, and I'm going to ask Marissa to do the big task again of reading all of Luke. Excuse me, Ruth. I did that last week. <laughs> all too, of Luke. I? Just to end it right there. Just all, all of, of the book of Luke. Two yeah. and a half hours. Uh, Ruth chapter 2. And I want to remind you that when we read this together communally on Sunday, Engage your hearts. Engage your minds. Don't zone out. That's the easiest thing to do. Pay attention. This is God's word to us about the life and experience of Ruth. So, Marissa, hit it. All right. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind their harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Ah, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. She is, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So there's a lot of cultural context that's needed to properly understand this story. And, uh, you know, Ruth lives 1,200 years before Jesus, so this is 3,200 years ago. A lot of things in culture have changed. People really haven't changed all that much. So I want to talk about a couple of things culturally here in just a moment, uh, particularly the, the mandate of gleaning. That, that will help us make sense of this. But at the beginning of Ruth chapter 2, we meet a person who we've already met before, Elimelech, his name means God is king, mm -hmm. but we're also introduced to a new character in, in Boaz. So it's kind of a, a plot turn here as a yeah. new character is introduced. 
So, Marissa, either one of those guys you want to talk about? Sure, just a little bit about Boaz. You know, the narrator tells us from the very beginning of, of chapter 2, um, doesn't tell us much about him, but says that he exists as a kinsman to Naomi. And it's just a little um, offering of hope by the narrator. You know, Ruth and Naomi have returned to Bethlehem. They're amongst Naomi's people, but they're still in dire straits. They are still uh, isolated. Their situation hasn't changed much. Um, but there's this, this hope that's given that there's someone um, unseen that will protect them, that, that they have this unseen advantage in this kinsman. Um, she has ties to someone who will bring rescue. You know, this, this is all the parallels between, um, between the kinsmen that we have. You know, even though ours, we might be in a dire situation, that we seem isolated, that we seem like we don't have much reason for hope, that we still have a hope beyond what is seen in this kinsman that we have, um, a knowledge, and just that knowledge that the kinsman exists gives us hope to go on. That's right. And and we have a, a foreshadowing of Christ and that idea of a guardian redeemer mm-hmm. or a kinsman redeemer. One word that's used for Boaz in, in the Hebrew is one word, and translation it's usually a phrase. In verse 1 he says he was a man of standing. So it's mm-hmm. a Hebrew word, gibor, G-I-B-B-O-R. And it can mean a, a military veteran. It could mean um, a, a person who's affluent, a person of, of great respect. Uh, it has a lot of connotations to it. Right. Basically, my uh, I'm going to play off that. A man of standing. I'm going to call him a stand-up guy. Hey. That, that, hey, you know. <laughs> stand-up he, guy. <laughs> he was all around just a stand-up yeah. guy. And what, and what I would do if I were teaching this, I would pause at this point. I would talk about that phrase. And I would say, um, give me an example of a person from your life who's a stand-up individual, who they, they're not perfect, but they did things with integrity. You looked at them as a source of, of honor and dignity. Hopefully that person, for most of us, would be our father. I know for me it is. Not everyone has had that experience. Mm-hmm. But usually most of us have come across a person that they are a man of integrity, a mm-hmm. person of integrity. And there's there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of give and take from, you know, uh, you know, Women not wanting to respect men, men not wanting to respect women. I don't think our world needs any more machismo. Boy, I'm just throwing out all kinds of phrases today. (laughs) But we need true masculinity. Mm -hmm. We need men who choose to really be men, not in a braggadocious, arrogant way, but a man who genuinely is strong and cares for other people. Am I making any sense? You are, yeah. And that gabor hayil, it's a two-word phrase, the man of substance, um, is how the rabbis translate that, man of substance. And it is, just like you said, a military term. It's an honorific. A David, young David, is described as a Gabor Hayil after he um, slays Goliath. You say um, so much better than I do. I, but yeah. who knows if it's correct? We'll I, find I, out. Please I'm let going us with know. It. Yeah. Um, but just because he was a man of good standing and he had some kind of military uh, service in his belt um, does not necessarily mean that he was a man of kindness. So there is still a nervousness about, ah. about him. It's like we know he's a man of standing. We know that he is a man of wealth who's proven himself in battle, but do we know that he's a good man? And the rabbis say in this translation of this term as man of substance, that wraps up righteousness into that military honorific. And spoiler alert, the female uh, version of that, Eshat Hayil, he calls Ruth, Boaz calls Ruth this later on in uh, Ruth 3. So spoiler alert, they get together, I don't know, you know. Um, (laughs) But <laughs> remind me of that. I want to get ready because that, yeah. that's fantastic. Two people of honor coming together. So now. just like you were saying, men respect women, women respect men. That's what this book 
you know, is not what it's all about, but it's definitely there. I think for a man who's truly a man of respect, uh, and I've said this before, he will not demand respect. He will deserve respect. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that also translates to women as well. So I do want to spend some time talking about gleaning. And, and by the way, let's let's come back to that idea here in a moment of he's a man of respect, but is he a man of kindness? And mm -hmm. we're going to see, I think, proof of that here in just a moment. Um, let's let's come to the the idea of gleaning. You can read Leviticus chapter 19. It will highlight this, that when a person is harvesting their field, uh, they are not to go over it with a fine-tooth comb. Don't, right. don't get every bit of grain. Uh, another illustration is used of when you when you harvest the, the fruit from the tree and you take a stick and you rattle the branches and the fruit falls, don't go over it a second time. Leave something there so that the poor of the land can come in and harvest after you and have enough to sustain themselves. So there's several principles of generosity here. Mm -hmm. From the giver standpoint, it would be God has blessed me, not just to provide for my family, but also to provide for the needs of others, to provide for the poor. But also from the poor's standpoint, I think it's profound here to say the poor uh, have the opportunity not only to receive, but also to preserve dignity. That in other words, you know, nobody's going to give them a handout. They have to go and work for it themselves. They have mm -hmm. to go and glean. They have to make that effort. And so not only is there generosity on behalf of the giver, but there's dignity given on behalf of the receiver. Mm -hmm. So your thoughts about all that. Yeah, and I love the end of that law that says, you shall leave them for the poor and stranger, for I am the Lord your God. And that just a memory of everything that we have is given to us by God. We are the gleaners in his creation. So why, who are we to say who can't pick from our fields? That this was something left for the poor and the stranger, a protection built into Hebrew society. Um, but... At this time, you know, last time we talk, talked, we talked about judges being a time of chaos, of violence, of a time when men did what was right in, in their own eyes. And what's right in our own eyes is very rarely a respect for women, the poor, and the stranger. Yeah. Um, so this provision was still there, but you can see in the way that Ruth and Naomi talk about gleaning that there's, there's a fear and a risk involved because many of the great landlords at this time didn't respect that law, which meant that they didn't respect God at that time. Um, so even though there was this provision, they had a right to do this, it was still Ruth saying, let me go and do this. Naomi being nervous, but saying, go, my daughter. Um, there was a risk involved here because of the harm that it could put R Ruth in. Um, not just as a woman, because at times when men do what's right in their own eyes, that's very rarely respecting a woman, um, but because she was a Moabite woman. Yeah, so let, let's, let's attach or attack that, because when he asked, when Boaz asked, who is this woman? Well, she, she is Naomi. She has come back. Uh, sorry, this is Ruth. She came back with Naomi from Moab. This is a Moabite woman gleaning your fields. So there's this moment of tension Boaz, probably if he had been like anybody else, would have said, get her out of here. Mm. Understand gleaning, but that does not apply to her because she's a foreigner. Uh -huh. And so here's a person that is, and if he was a veteran of past wars, then there's a little tension in him because mm -hmm. you know he might have fought the Moabites at, at one point. Uh, they were literally a thorn in Israel's side uh, from their eastern borders. And so he could have very easily said, get her out of here. This, this doesn't apply to her. I find it fascinating, intriguing, informative here that he extends grace to somebody 
who is his political enemy. Mm-hmm. If that does not speak during this time, <laughs> I don't I don't know what does. Um, and and so much of our polarizations uh, of, of political ideas that um, that is an unnecessary division for Christians to be involved in. Mm-hmm. You know, so imagine a person who votes just the opposite of you that you would help them. If that's not in our character, then that is not reflecting the character of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I like the word that you used there, that it was grace. Um, the um, I think it, this is verse 2 where she says that um, she sought to be behind anyone in whose eyes she found favor. That's the NIV translation. But the, the Hebrew is uh, that I will find grace in his eyes. So just looking for the grace of other people, looking for the generosity, the undeserved generosity of others. Um, and... Some people I know I've heard it preached that Ruth and Naomi kind of had this plan from the beginning. It's like, go to my kids. Oh, that was Boaz's field? Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But when she says that she was looking for favor, it wasn't special favor. It was just enough favor to exist. The favor she was looking for was uh, she wasn't looking for a husband. She wasn't a gold digger. The special favor she wanted was just the special favor that would get her through the day with both wheat and her dignity intact. That's all she was looking for. But God had such a more beautiful plan ahead of her. Yeah. So so I would issue a challenge here, if, if I were teaching this, to say the people that culture tells you are your enemies may not be your enemies after all. Mm. And to even parse that out a little bit, you know, who, who do we in our culture say is our enemy uh, that just doesn't wash when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. And how do we extend grace? Well, the first thing we might need to do is just quit spouting off hatred. You know, quit quit spouting off whether in line or in person, online or in person. Um, just just quit advocating hatred and and extend a a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. So um, Boaz discovers who she is, invites her. In fact, here's a clue as to his kindness. Uh, he instructs his people, do not harm her, let her glean as much as she wants, even pull some stocks out, you know, and give her... By the way, when she goes back with an epath, um, did I say that right, Marissa? Sure. Okay, there we go, epath. <laughs> that, that's about 30 pounds of grain. That would be a month's worth of grain mm-hmm. in one day. Yeah. And so there's an extravagance here. Uh, but when it says in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar... He sat down with the harvesters, and he offered her some roasted grain. Actually, the word there implies more. He served her. This was just the opposite of what... I mean, this is this is beyond extravagant that here, um, you might expect this woman to be serving the man, but the man serves the woman, and it's this beautiful extension of grace. And by the way, the Sunday morning I teach this, uh, Ruth chapter 2, we're going to be taking communion, and it's at this point in the message that we're going to stop because Jesus would gather his disciples together and he would serve them and talk about being an undeserved recipient of grace. Again, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme and that we see Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, serving us uh, in a beautiful way. Marissa, thoughts? Or yeah. if you want to go in a different direction. Sure. I just love the verse where she asked him, why are you so kind? Yeah. Um, He's extended this kindness to her, and she, it's it's so confusing to her. It's so abundant. It's so gracious. She's confused because she's a foreigner. She's a woman. It's just completely unexpected. And just the, the reminder of the unexpected grace of God and his abundance towards us. But the blessing that he gives back to her 
is kind of an answer to uh, the acknowledgement or an acknowledgement of what she told Naomi when she joined her. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. You know, she was still an outsider. She had accepted um, Naomi's people and Naomi's God, but did they accept her back? She didn't know. And the way that she behaves up till this point is just kind of on the outsides. She's still in the margins of this society. And when Boaz blesses her and invites her to his table, it's as if he's a representative of Israel, um, kind of saying, um, you are one of us. My God is your God. You are my people. And his words envelop Ruth into this covenant um, and, and just letting her know that she is fully adopted into this family. So to look for the people on the margins, the people who don't quite belong, the people who are standing at the back rather than participating in the people of God, look for those people and assure them that they're welcome and that they're fully adopted. Yeah, that's right. In fact, we, we get echoes of that. Uh, Naomi in this chapter calls Ruth her daughter. Boaz calls her right. daughter as well. And in the Hebrew, and I didn't know this because I'm not a Hebrew reader, but um, Naomi and Boaz both use the same cadence, the same turns of phrase throughout yeah. the book, um, just to kind of put them on this, this separate plane of God's people. There you go. Now this ends, uh, this chapter ends, um, not with so much of a cliffhanger hanger as before, um, I've been having really trouble. A lot You're doing of trouble. great. Hey, listen. I've had a lot of trouble change. with my words. <laughs> the last week, what is happening to ah, me? I don't know. Am I getting old? You're doing great. Thanks. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, so what happens at the end is that Ruth is instructed to stay close to the women of, of Boaz, and that's a safe place for her to be. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting. There's a parallel with, with chapter one where Ruth attaches herself to Naomi and now she attaches herself to the women around Boaz mm-hmm. because um, we made this point last week. You want to put yourself with people who are moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I want to echo again my pastoral plea in the times in which we live. Don't walk away from the shepherd when you need him most. And don't walk away from God's people when you need them most. Yes. And, and so there's, there's uh, safety, there's sustenance found in this group. And so Ruth attaches herself to people who will benefit her life. Mm-hmm. So anything walking away, Marissa, anything you want to point out that I've, I've missed? Sure. Um, I love that Ruth is a book of ordinary people, just living ordinary yet godly lives. There's never a time in the book of Ruth where uh, there's a burning bush, an angel doesn't like appear to Naomi and say, accept Ruth and go back to Bethlehem. No dreams come to Boaz to tell him what to do. There's a, a marked absence of the supernatural in this book, but every conversation is centered around God and his provision and his blessings and an acknowledgement that God's hand is guiding all of these proceedings. Even when Boaz first speaks to his reapers, it's the Lord is with you. Um, so, you know, we talked about praying continually, making God continually a part of our conversations. Um, Naomi continually refers to God's sovereignty in her life. So despite this la- uh, or uh, the, the lack of a miraculous presence, um, they understand themselves to be a conduit of God's blessings, that their choices and actions matter. And, you know, the, the concept of hesed is throughout this book. Yes. Um, just this active and undeserved uh, grace that flows from God and that we are all active pers- participants in hesed. It's one of those words like shalom that means so, so much that we, uh, in our biblical translations, like attribute like 
80 different words <laughs> to this yeah. just to try to get at the meat of what it means. Well, I, I tell my Wednesday night group, I wish there was a translation of the Bible that every time the word hesed was used, it was italicized. Yeah. Uh, because it, it means a covenant faithfulness. No, right. no matter what you do to me, I'm going to stick with you. And that's that covenant faithfulness, that covenant grace. Yeah, it's an active, steadfast love just for love's sake. And every person, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, they all embody this hesed and in just these completely ordinary ways. And so I think it's it's a really beautiful book for us as we look at our own timeline. You said nothing really changes. It's always dark. It's always chaotic. We always think, um, oh, this is the worst time it's ever been. Nope. It's always been bad. <laughs> <laughs> but also there's always been good through God's people that, right. that Boaz and Ruth and Naomi served each other with Hesed within this dark place. And because of the ordinariness of their story, I have to believe there were many families like this, that there were many people living out God's truth in a dark time. Okay, I got to tell a story I'm going to tell on Sunday that, that is absolutely just a, a winner of a story. Um, most people know Claude Monet, mm. so that, that's not who I'm talking about. It's <laughs> uh, Edward Manet. He's another artist, but he would paint these large paintings, and he would get so disturbed. He didn't like where this large painting would go, but he would see one section that just would be a couple inches high, a couple inches wide, and he'd go, I really like that area. So he would cut out that one piece from the larger canvas. And in fact, in the Cincinnati Art Museum, uh, there's one particular piece that's considered a masterpiece, but originally it was a part of a, a much bigger painting mm -hmm. that he just thought was terrible, but he cut out this one piece and it was absolutely beautiful. That's my image of the Book of Ruth and Judges. Mm -hmm. You just get this mess all over the place. But right in the middle of the mess is this masterpiece. Yeah. And it's Ruth's life and, and Boaz's experience that's been cut out and preserved for us. In times like these, it's good to remember there have always been times like these. Mm -hmm. And in, instead of the mess being uh, an excuse for our discouragement, it is actually the opportunity for our obedience mm -hmm. in a chaotic world. Okay, is that about it? Yeah, I think so. Kinsman Redeemer, that's a big idea. I'd rather save that for Chapter 4. That's what but, I was thinking, too. Let's, let's hold on to it. Let's hold on to that. <laughs> that is a, a foreshadowing of, of Christ, I think very strong foreshadowing of Christ. So have a great time teaching this. Uh, let's have a great time walking through the book of Ruth. Again, it's a little odd to do that at Advent, but uh, history does not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And so we'll get to experience that together. All right, anything else? Yeah. All right, Black Friday, tally-ho, let's go get them. <laughs> now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.